Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. So welcome to the podcast, Kate Charrington. Dun, dun, dun. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Not cringing whatsoever. I've been wanting to get you on a podcast for ages. It's nice. Nice, because nice. because you do a lot on social media so we'll have a chat about that today and I'm really interested in your journey and how you stepped up to be actually quite visible and talk about the things that you're you're passionate about and I think there's some really interesting things that you do but for those who have absolutely no idea who you are do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners I, I will yes I'm not famous so I doubt everyone will know who I am <laughs> so um so yeah my name is Kate Charrington I'm a residential surveyor and valuer live and work in the area of Surrey and um yeah it's I always find it quite difficult to say what I do because most people who know me kind of know that I go and see houses and take valuations and and that's kind of as far as it goes but um but yeah I love what I do it's a really difficult thing, though, actually explaining what you do and why you do what you do. And then when your career diversifies, trying to explain all the different things that you that you get involved with. And I have that. I now call myself a, a coach and mentor and a chartered surveyor. But in the past, it's been chartered surveyor and coach and mentor, you know, and it's like, which comes first? Panic. <laughs> sure. Know? So um, how has the sort of lockdown period, because we're recording this in, in October 2020, but how was the, the summer of, it'll be called the summer of something now, won't it? But the summer, summer of dread, that we all summer, wish was never. Yeah, how, how, how has that um, affected you and your work and, and, and things? Yeah, I, I think like everybody, the um, kind of issue of, of when you're going to get back to work after a period of furlough has been um, has been quite difficult for a lot of people, including myself, um, looking after a vulnerable partner. You know, it's it's affected me in quite a big way, I actually, I think. In many ways, it's allowed me to re-establish my kind of vision for, for my personal future and in a wider sense as well for kind of local community and um, and the world, if you will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just been that reflective time. I know that sounds quite cliche because a lot of people have said that, but it's allowed people to just re-establish, re- rethink what they're doing. And yeah, kind of um, it's actually one of the real benefits was it's given me an opportunity to to learn so during my time on furlough I took a couple of courses and um, did a training program yeah so it's it, it, quite positive I think all in all good so tell me about how did you get started as a surveyor yeah so it's a bit of a weird one for me it was never something that I'd envisaged that I would ever do. My dad actually, by background, is a structural and civil engineer. And he he always said to me, Kate, why don't you do something more technical? Um, that's my dad's voice, by the way. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, but I, I'm not naturally technically minded. So I never kind of envisaged that I would become a surveyor, let alone a chartered surveyor. That was never kind of in my in my vision of what I thought I would do. But so I went to university 
to do American and Canadian studies, both things, um, came out in twenty. Can I can I just ask you about that? What what sure. do you study about Canada and America? American is it the history of it is it what they eat so <laughs> yeah so it's it was essentially a multidisciplinary degree so history politics um sociology in many ways so actually my probably people know me quite a lot for is my kind of diversity and inclusion passion and that was actually born from um from my degree where I spent a year out in Canada and did my dissertation on multiculturalism in in Canada so yeah like I said it was kind of multifaceted didn't know what even what I wanted to do when I went to university so that's probably what took me down that that path in terms of that degree and then when I came out in 2010 I mean the market wasn't that great in terms of jobs obviously probably nothing like it's going to be for for the poor poor people at university at the moment thank goodness for on a selfish note I guess you know I'd, I'd hate to be in the situation a lot of people are now but I essentially got into estate agency by chance um I was applying for anything and everything it was actually my degree that got me the job that I that I got in uh Ewell uh, for Gascoigne Peas and uh yeah the guy who employed me lovely chap Gareth Overton he works for um Henry Adams now down near near the south coast and he, I remember him saying oh I you know I saw you've been to Canada so I thought oh <laughs> you know <laughs> you must be good with people you'll be fine so that kind of led me into a state agency did that for a few years and then ultimately I I was actually looking to go back to back to university and do a degree in planning just because I wanted to kind of still remain within the property sector but I didn't Again, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then as if by chance and by kind of magic, there was a kind of internal graduate program that was released within within Countrywide. And I, yeah, got the job, never looked back. And that's kind of what's led me to led me to here. Did you enjoy being a state agent? Were you any good at it? I loved it. I loved it. I think uh, as to whether I would say I was any good at it, I... I don't know. It's one of those industries, isn't it? And and those roles that actually you can't sell houses. You sell dreams effectively. You know, you can't force someone to spend quarter of a million plus pounds, depending obviously where you are in uh, in the world. And me being in kind of the southeast, it's a fairly um, wealthy area, and you just can't force people to spend that money. But what you can do is build relationships with people, understand what they want, understand what their goals are. You know, what's important to them. And I would say that I was excellent at that. And how has that then helped you in your surveying work? Because I know one of the things that makes a difference for customers from my customer experience background is talking to a surveyor is the icing on the cake. You know, that's the thing that makes it makes it better. I, I think estate agency's background gave me an incredible amount of transferable skills, particularly, you know, in, a, in an age where so many people are scared to pick up the phone. I think estate agency gave me the ability to not be afraid to talk to people who I've never spoken to before on the phone, and particularly with surveying when often you don't actually meet the applicant or the client so I think I, I do think it's really helped me actually um by nature I'm very sociable anyway so I always manage to build kind of good good relationships and and I think when it comes to surveying all people really want is someone to tell them what the issues are is it going to cost them very much is it actually a real kind of problem 
essentially, is the house going to fall down or the flat? <laughs> They're the kind of main main issues. And and I think if they've got someone, a professional, to say to them, look, you know, it's obviously down to down to you and your appetite for risk. But if it doesn't kind of if it's not something that I would consider as, as significant, then I think everything's going to be okay. And I think it's that reassurance that people just want. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of surveyors or trainee surveyors struggling now to find mentors mm. and or to get that experience. And one of the, I mean, I started off in a state agency on a Saturday job. I used to work for Swetnam's in Wrexham, <laughs> uh, long gone now. Uh, and I wasn't very good at it really, but it did give me really good experience, absolutely, of picking up the phone and, and talking to people. And, you know, for surveyors or trainee surveyors right now who can't get experience and go out with their mentors, actually, you know, taking on a a job or going to your local estate agent is a great place to start because it's getting familiar with just property and Mm -hmm. how people live and how they really use properties. Mm -hmm. You know, they they tidy up before the surveyor comes. (laughs) Sometimes, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) But just getting those number of properties under your belt is, is really important, isn't it? And so, you know, it's important that surveyors, trainee surveyors, to actually start to look at other trades and other ways that they can get property experience right now? A hundred percent. I think it's, like I said, so I'm not naturally technically minded and it's only by going to see numerous properties every single day, day in, day out, supplemented with that kind of technical learning that's actually um, helped me because it's it's one thing to see something on paper and it's a completely different ballgame to see it in the flesh, as it were. And um, yeah, I, I like I say, I do feel for men, um, for people at university, people who are looking for mentees to go out with um, for surveying training. But you know, technology is a wonderful thing, and and there's a lot of things that we can do to actually help people, um, even if they can't go physically to a property. You know, can we do video, video kind of conferencing? I guess from a from inside a property, can mentors do things that way? Yeah, and the whole thing about mentoring, as we record um, this, we're about to do our mentorber. I was going to do what you did there. See what we did there, yeah. I was going to do mentorber, and then I thought, no, it's not about men, it's about mentorber. And, you know, and that's really just about raising awareness and, and that there are different things that you can do to support others. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that you have to employ somebody and, and mentor them and have them out with you every day. But sometimes just the five minutes that you give someone the support and just encouragement can make an absolute, absolute difference to people. Are there any role models or mentors that you've had as you've sort of gone through your career that have helped really shape the way that you do things? Yes, I think he's probably well whether he'll listen to it or not I don't know but um but Charles Adams has been oh yeah uh, yeah knows Charles fabulous yeah he's been the biggest influence on my career and yeah I'm, I hope you won't mind me saying but you know as a mentor as a as a kind of supporter of, of my career progression um as someone just there to support me in times of need or whatever I just think mentors and people who who help you become who you are are so valid and so important outside of um, of my my work as well you know there's a lot of female um, role models that I look to you being one Sharon Slinger in particular um, who does a lot to do with diversity and inclusion through her own her own business Emma Vigas 
is fantastic kind of collaborator, I think. And she brings so many women across the industry together to make a better better industry and sector to work for. And I think, like I say, there's a lot to be had for, for mentors and they're not sought after enough, I don't think. You never, especially as a young person, actually. I know when, when I first started in surveying, okay, you can have people like Charles who are who are your technical mentor, who are your your manager as well, and, and that's fantastic. But actually, you need to understand where you're going. Um, and a lot of people don't know the right questions to ask. They don't know who to approach. And I think it's something that's very missed within businesses to help people develop properly rather than just kind of have someone every six months kind of check in. I think it's just nice to have someone to be able to go to and talk to, not in a a kind of personal capacity, but just in terms of your your career development. It's a very... Yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from, but it'd be quite it's quite a hard, difficult thing, a relationship to to build with a mentor. And sometimes they often happen by accident. You've very kindly hosted a a few women in surveying sessions for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we hold those on a Friday. I've called them chat and natter for now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It sounds like it's a a mum's group, but we do, you know, just chat about absolutely anything. But you get to see, you know, in people's lives and support them. And it's feeling part of a community and feeling Mm. part of something. And from there, that's when you can take take uh, relationships, you know, forward. And and we've seen that uh, happen quite a lot within the Women in Spain network. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that kind of network has been absolutely pivotal for me because I think there are people that you kind of naturally gravitate towards that you wouldn't necessarily have met kind of in your in your normal day to day. And I think as well, sometimes it's just nice to have a bit of an objective perspective, somebody who's not there to judge you. You know, you just want to want to have a conversation about something or other and and it's having it's having people that you know are there without an agenda but just to kind of hear what you say and and help you if uh, if needs be and, and the women in Spain network has been very crucial for me uh, at the moment particularly yeah and, and that's that's really great feedback's been worth it then Kate and I think one of the reasons why it works is it's it's deliberately not an organization it's not a women's group I think there are something like 64 different women's group within the built environment sector we do not need another one and they do they all do great great work but there's something about the fluid nature and informality of it that, you know, you can just reach out and just contact people. It doesn't have to have a committee or a webinar to talk about a panel over something. You know, there's a place mm. for that. Um, and what I've enjoyed about it over over my time is just meeting new new people. And I, I never forget the courage it takes for somebody to turn up at an event or turn up, you know, to our, our Zoom calls, you know, for the first time. That mm. takes courage to do that. And I'm always very mindful of that because I, I remember what it was like when I started going out networking, you know, and it was just, I hated it and I forced myself to do it, you know, but I know, know the difference it can make when you just start to connect people. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you use the word networking there. And I think often that's kind of 
perceived in a bit of a kind of crass way like mm. for me it's not so much networking it's well I don't know maybe maybe what I'm about to say is even more more cliche and crass but it is about building relationships with people isn't it in whatever capacity just so you kind of mutually benefit and that's the that's the main thing and when you talk about people joining for the very first time, I think it is scary, particularly if you're not naturally kind of outgoing. But once people do it, I'm sure they won't they won't turn back. But what I found particularly useful is actually when you meet people who cross all different um well generations, I guess, lots of different ages, and you and you kind of you find common ground when you meet in environments like that. And that's what's so great is that actually it brings people together who seemingly for me just want to make a positive difference to, to the, um, to the industry. Mm. Tell me a bit about you being a social media star. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what a lot of people know you for, you know, they'll say, okay, Charrington, she's on LinkedIn. Kate Charrington, did you see the little video that she did? It was fab. And you've really stepped up the visibility for young surveyors, you know, mm-hmm. and you're nominated for Young Surveyor of the Year Award. When, when is that when is that due? When's the announcement? In November. So maybe, you know, maybe I'll be saying so yes, as we listen to, my category. As we listen to this, you <laughs> might be a winner or you might be a come second. Uh, but, but good luck anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. But, you know, you've you've stepped up to that being visible. How did that start? Was it just a natural thing for you to do? How did that come about? And how do you feel about it? Very good question. So I think I'm quite a naturally curious person. I get quite itchy feet. I don't like doing the same thing every day, which is why surveying is actually, um, you know, a a great job for a lot of people because you go out and then you, um, you always see different things. I guess I just wanted to to make it make it better. It just started from the fact that actually, when, like when you ask me what I do for a living, often I find it very hard to actually verbalise what it is that I do. And those videos that I did a while back now, they just kind of helped me help me to demonstrate exactly what a surveyor does in very simple terms. Because I think the general public, particularly, they don't get it. They don't get what we do. And that's partly our own doing because we just don't give them the right kind of perception of what surveyors are actually doing. Yeah. So that's kind of why I why I started doing those little videos. And then I just found myself more and more kind of having a having a voice. It kind of put me on the map a, a bit, I guess, just in terms of being a, a voice for surveyors, voice for young surveyors, voice for female surveyors voice for a gay female surveyor I think you know it just it allowed me an outlet to show people that it's not a kind of male dominated older guy job nor should it be and I think there's there's a lot of people in that kind of category that forced me to demonstrate that so I think we're on the right trajectory just needs to maybe get there a bit bit faster but how do I feel about the social media thing I go through peaks and troughs so (laughs) but you I mean as an example you're so consistent and and that's excellent I I have a love-hate relationship I think with it it's very difficult especially you know when you're going through kind of personal things in life and, and whatever it's not your kind of first priority but 
I think it's it's got a real benefit in that you can actually find a voice, find a platform. You can offer your insight, offer your opinion. But equally, you know, we shouldn't all be caught up by it and hence my dislike of, of Facebook. <laughs> and you know what for anyone who hasn't seen it there's a program on netflix called the social dilemma i think it's called i'll put a link to it in the the show notes and also to your your little videos on linkedin Mm. but and the program's basically just saying how manipulative social media is linkedin doesn't get mentioned very often in there actually but you know facebook twitter instagram all of them you know they, they get mentioned and I don't disagree. And it's quite a scary thing when you think, mm-hmm. crikey. But in many ways, we've been manipulated by the news in the mm-hmm. you know, news channels, newspapers for years. You know, there's that sort of nudge theory of, you know, how we sort of direct people. And I think so long as you view it with a an open mind and view it in that way and understand it's a tool to get your message mm-hmm. out. I mean, I use it for, for business. You know, it's mainly why I, I use it. And just because I like to share and overshare, you know, but, um, <laughs> but I forget. But, you know, it's just, it's just a way to, uh, another medium to, to engage with people, really. Yeah. And, and I think actually, you know, you mentioned that LinkedIn doesn't kind of crop up too much in that kind of negative sense. And I think that's, I think that's why I quite like it, because it's, I probably personally feel like it's a bit of a safer platform. But having said that, you know, I've seen lots of bad things on there. I've, it's I surprising, isn't it? People, yeah. You know, really surprising. I've been trolled on LinkedIn. I've had horrible messages on LinkedIn. I've been asked to marry on LinkedIn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and these are like, these are, these are people Did that I can see. Did you not take them up on it then? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, and, he, and he had a big car and loads of money. <laughs> apparently (laughs) but no I mean it's like you say it's a great it's a great tool used well it will serve serve you and and your kind of sector and and, Mm. you know very well it's really scary though putting yourself out there and doing your first post or your you know Mm. or a post that means a lot to you I remember when I did an article a couple of good few years ago now on uh, on LinkedIn and it was about my my experience of going back uh, after maternity leave and mm-hmm. I, I don't know what what possessed me to do it but I did it and I had a picture of Peppa Pig up there <laughs> and I got loads of feedback but it was a I, I felt brave enough to do it at the time but sometimes I've put posts out and you think oh god is anyone going to look at it you know and what have I said what have I done and do you know what all I can say is it gets easier and you just get mm-hmm. used to you know, it's just a learned behavior of, of promoting yourself and sharing what you're doing. And it comes back to knowing why you're doing those things and not just randomly sharing what you've had for lunch. But it does get easier. My problem is that I make mistakes. <laughs> I make typos. I'll get things wrong. I just I just do that anyway. I have to double, double it, check anything. It's fine. But absolutely, <laughs> you can get it deleted. You can edit it. it. There's nothing, nothing that bad. You know, it's fine. 
<laughs> you know, so yeah, people, people just need to, to do it. Yeah, I, I think people just need to take a leap of faith. I think I think it also um, depends, you know, where you work, particularly if you're in a corporate environment, you need to be mindful about what you're saying. How does that reflect on, on employers? It really does depend, I think, what your goal is. I think, like you say, you know, for, for me, it's not it's not about sharing what I've had for had for dinner. It's about just I guess sharing knowledge, sharing knowledge, sharing insight, sharing maybe a bit of me that you don't get to see day to day. And that's that's kind of all it is really. I guess. You're, you're right. It is, it is about purpose. And the, the challenges that I see actually with LinkedIn and in many ways why I created the Surveyor Hub is I see surveyors going onto LinkedIn, commenting on a, a post that someone's put up and having that debate in a public forum over whether the diagnosis is right or wrong or, you know, the interpretation of, of some guidance. And that's a public platform where your clients can see, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, you know, if you're going on there to have the argument with people, you don't do that in public. You know, you, you find the right, right forum or group uh, to do that. But you're right. It's absolutely about the, the purpose and why you do what you do and your, your mission in life, mm. why you're a surveyor and all of those things. And a lot of people haven't done that kind of personal development work. Those who have followed my work and followed Blue Box will know that, you know, for me, it's all about making sure that people have safe, warm, dry houses with a roof over their head. And my way of doing that is empowering surveyors to be the best that they can be and make a social mm. impact so they can they can go ahead and do that. And that's it's taken me a while to work out that that's what I do and, and how I do it. But you mm. just start with, a, well, what feels right? So what am I passionate about? And what do I mm. want to change in the world so tell me a bit more about about that because I know there's there's lots of the diversity piece but also I know you're you're quite passionate about climate mm. yeah so it's interesting actually I was I was thinking before I kind of joined joined the call for the podcast you know what what is it that, that why I on earth is marrying into you and me <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah actually I mean I'm just I'm just uh you know I'm just a, I'm just a girl standing <laughs> in front of Marion you know I'm, no I'm just um I, I'm I'm just a really normal person with nothing kind of particular to claim or to their name I just I just want people to to thrive and and, and be better and part of that is you know from a climate perspective so for me I kind of I I thought about okay well I do a lot for diversity and inclusion I do a lot for um for climate in terms of having just done this uh, this training which I'll speak about later but and and it kind of all comes under I think for me it all comes under that sustainability piece which I really kind of started learning about I guess a few years ago when I was starting to think about when I would undertake my assessment of, of professional competence and I think one of the one of the issues that we have is that sustainability is not really particularly defined okay you have those kind of three pillars in the sense of social economic environmental otherwise known as kind of people planet profit but but what do they really mean and I think actually, when we look at what that means, I think, um, you know, we've spoken about the sustainable development goals before. I think what that kind of framework allows us to do is actually just kind of separate things out just a little bit easier for people to understand. Mm. So for those who are listening and haven't heard of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, mm. can you explain or between us, can we explain 
people what that what that is? Yeah, so I mean, essentially, they were kind of born out of out of the United Nations in in 2015, um, and they kind of offer 17 kind of different elements, I guess, um, to do with land, air, water, technology. They they cover quite a diverse number of things, and what they're trying to do is is align developing uh, nations, developed nations to to align globally to make um, to make a kind of peaceful and, and prosperous world for all. So that's kind of their end goal, their kind of uh, goals for, for 2030. And yeah, some of them are things like gender equality, um, climate action, sustainable communities and cities. So they're just quite, quite nice. It's a nice framework, isn't it? Yeah. For not just individuals, but for businesses to align themselves yeah. to, you know, and it's not corporate social responsibility. It's not having a page of that in your, you know, your company brochure on your website. It's taking it a step further or a leap further to say, you know, if you want to make a better world, there are 17 goals that you can align yourself to, to start to make a difference. And we talk about our, you know, our vision and mission and purpose within a building, you know, within a, a, a uh, business and this is a way of I guess sort of aligning to that so mm. you're right there's a there's a variety of different uh, different ones but the thing is you don't have to align yourself to all of them and I did a uh, RICS last year I think November 2019 uh, mm-hmm. did a value the value the planet campaign where they actually reviewed all the goals and the initiatives and we'll put links in the in the show notes and on the blog they put all of this information together did quite a bit of work on it had this value the planet campaign and came up with a uh, framework of how it would apply in the built environment and it's a great piece of information for an SME on the ground I looked at that and thought at the spreadsheet and thought whoa whoo <laughs> I don't understand that. And so what we did at Blue Box was just start to say, okay, what's important to us and how can we start to align ourselves? So there are it's not sort of three that we were looking at. So well-being and good health or good health and well-being, which is goal three. And that's important to us because I have a mature employment to workforce within Blue Box and we've all been through the mill in some way, shape or form. So actually looking after ourselves is really important. Number four is quality education. That's really important to us because we're a technical content provider. You know, mm. uh, we've got lots of academics within our, our, our network. And so, you know, it's natural that we would align ourselves to that. And then for me, it was goal five, gender equality. And the women in Spain work that I do or, or just, just speak about. But actually there are, you know, the other one that's really come out for me over the past year through the mastermind work that I'm doing is actually goal eight, decent work and economic growth, mm-hmm. you know, of actually as surveyors, guess what? You can choose the work that you do and make a difference with that work and enjoy it and grow your business. You know, you can make a social impact and earn money and enjoy your business. You know, it's, and so you don't have to align yourselves to, to all of them, but you just start to notice. And the big impact for me is that this is the kind of thing that you can bring through to your work and spread the word to your clients through putting it in your reports or your marketing or even just talking to to clients about, okay, you've done the, a survey for them. Here's the most sustainable environmental options for a piece of work that might need to be mm. done. Or just to start having that conversation. It's really powerful. It is. And, and I think, like you say, the the SDGs aren't, you know, it's not a one one kind of fix all um thing they're not mutually exclusive and that's why everything is so difficult because you know you can't fix these problems 
that we have in the world. They're just things that we can kind of mitigate against and they're not mutually exclusive. You can't separate out one without actually impacting another. So it's great for businesses to ensure that they can at least try and look at various goals. But equally, as individuals, it's really helped me to look at, okay, well, what interests me? So in particular, kind of SDG5, like yourself, gender equality, you know, SDG11 about sustainable cities and communities, and then 13 with climate action. And for me, it's all about individual action because, you know, without individual action, you can't have collective action. Without collective action, you can't make the big impacts. So people can use whatever framework they like, but actually all it means is that we're going to to align ourselves together with, with a uh, vision of the future. I actually asked you guys on a kind of WhatsApp group that we have the other day, you know, how do you see the world in 50 years? And it was quite telling that actually a couple of people that came back related it automatically, specifically back to climate climate change without me even kind of mentioning Mm. that but also it was quite it was quite not I don't want to say negative but but it was a a bleak it was we were were all thinking Um, is there going to be a planet we've got covid there'd been an article news report out with David Attenborough (laughs) telling us all to not to waste anything it was quite a a doom and gloom day when you asked us It was, but I think, you know, we need to look at that because if, I mean, if everybody, not everybody, but you know, if people are really that bleak, then Mm -hmm. we need to make a difference individually. And so that's kind of what, what I'm trying to do. And that's the thing, you just make a start on one thing. Mm. You know, it's like if you're looking after your health and well-being, you just start with having a bit more water every day yeah. and you start to feel better. And and it's exactly the same with, with these things. And, and SMEs and, and surveyors, I think, can do an awful lot and they're empowered to do a lot, whether you work for a corporate or not. Mm-hmm. Things that looking at your your mileage, your car, how you mm-hmm. how you commute, the waste that you use, where you shop for your sandwich. They sound a bit naff when you talk about we want to change the world and have some these amazing sustainable development goals and I'm looking at what I'm, what I'm eating every day, you know, but you yeah, but, just start being mindful, don't you? And, and, and Yeah, yeah. And, and also I question anyone who doesn't want to live in a better world. If you don't want to live in a better world, then yeah. I guess it depends on what does better look like because your better world yeah. might be different to mine and maybe that's but, part of the... Yeah, and, and again, that that is the challenge but I think certainly over the last kind of um, five years we've seen some great moves toward kind of I, I guess toward this kind of better alignment where we think about our impact more so we've had kind of governmental societal and financial um, kind of changes when we look at the Paris, Paris climate agreement you know that's one thing we've got the SDGs is another we've got um, socially we've had Greta Thunberg we've had Blue Planet we've had Extinction the facts now from David Attenborough, Extinction Rebellion. I mean, there's such a wave of passion from a lot of people. It's just because it's such a big hurdle, you know, people get lost and they don't know what to do, which is why coming back to that idea of if we all just made small changes or even just even just thought about it um, just a little bit more. Okay, well, 
do I really need to drive to the school that's 500 metres away, which I actually see a lot of in Rygate? It's about, okay, well, what can we do individually just to reduce our emissions and reduce our impact on the natural environment? One of the things I was talking to someone else about today as I'm preparing for another podcast is we were talking about sort of like the next generation and you know, that sort of WhatsApp conversation that, that we'd had with uh, with a few of our friends about climate. One of our friends said, well, actually, I'm hoping my children, I'm bringing them up to be change makers. And I thought, mm. you know, yes, you know, we can't, it's a big burden on the next generation. We've got to do some of the work. But it did make me think about actually, you know, we've got older, more mature surveyors People like me in the middle. And then we've got young, <laughs> young surveyors. Yeah. Anybody who's not eligible for Young Surveyor of the Year award. But, you know, you've got these sort of um, tiers of different uh, surveyors who will have different approaches, different experiences in life. And the whole approach to climate, diversity, all of those things would hopefully come more naturally and accessible to younger mm. people because you know there's a whole generation who don't smoke you know hopefully don't smoke whereas you know mm. a lot of people older it was like the thing that you did you know so hopefully there's a, a generation of people who who will find that a lot of this more accessible but the lady I was talking to we were talking about the APC and you know is the APC format the right format in this world you know and actually through the APC in that, in that interview, there's not really the opportunity to talk about diversity and inclusion, um, you know, to, about, you know, uh, how do we change the world and improve things? And, the, and the, we were talking about this even before we, we got onto the podcast, so I'm looking forward to it, you know, but we were talking about, well, if we don't give younger people or new people into the profession the opportunity to talk and demonstrate and learn and question are we not just bringing in people who will just follow our path? You know, it becomes sort of quite sort of formulaic and it's like learning to learning to pass your driving test rather than learning to drive and explore, mm. you know, and some of that might be reckless, but actually do we need some of that and do we need to, re, to, to look at all of that? I think the answer to that, that is a resounding yes for me. We need to have diversity of thought. If you don't have that, then you can't change. And whether you think that we're kind of all okay as we are and we should be kind of trundling along as if nothing's happening, then that's fine. But if you don't have someone to question things, if you don't have someone, I mean, like myself, I I consider that I question things, I question people, I question why are we doing things the way we are. And, And without that, you just have this monotonous process I think for younger people I mean I've got um younger cousins kind of between the ages of um of kind of 10 and 10 and 25 and they are just vastly more aware of of what's happening than I would ever have been at that age at that age I was probably having a drink in a university club and you know god knows what so it, it you know whereas these people they're much more sorry these people like there are different Those species. People. <laughs> <laughs> but you know i think the younger generation are more in tune um and that's you know that's by virtue of, of having people do, like they, do they call it do they call it woke General oh, do work. you know what? I don't even. I really don't even. I feel know like a granny now. My, yeah, but when my cousin started talking to me about memes, I still to this day do not know what a meme is. So don't. I yeah, it, it's just a sometimes a different language even for me, who's only what thirty 
too. So, yeah, I think a lot of people do kind of look at the young, young in quotes, people to change things. But I mean, I don't have children and I want to change it for me which I think is often overlooked because we, you know, most people, I say most, but a lot of people will say, I want to do it for my kids. And I think that is one of the kind of potential hurdles. Why do something for your kids that you can do for yourself? You know, so hopefully people's mindsets will um, will maybe kind of start to look at what we can do now rather than, okay, well, what can I do for my kids that will impact in 20 years' time? Yeah, that's a, that's a really valid point. And I do also wonder, and these are just questions that I pose, is that if you've got that APC panel, mm-hmm. you know, actually should that be made up of younger people or actually, you know, or people who've had training specifically or experience of working within the UN SDG framework mm. of uh, diversity and inclusion training. I mean, I know these people, you know, these people, <laughs> I've been in the myself, you know, mm. you you do have training, you are an expert, but actually is there another layer? I don't, I don't know. I just... I think there's definitely a different dimension that could be brought to the APC. Um, I think you're right. I think um, diversity and, and even sustainability is only kind of level mm. one. So it's not level two. Or and that's level what three. I mean. The, all of these things um, should be level three. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's that's my view. The, the only kind of issue I guess you might have with that, so I went through the residential pathway and how... As it currently stands, if we look at sustainability, um, you know, you've got various things like MMCs, Passive House, all these kind of different um, kind of structural issues kind of affecting affecting buildings and energy emissions, etc. But actually, how does that translate into sustainability? Because what you need to ensure is that if, you, if you're going to request that level, so not just the understanding of of that topic but also the application and the advice given to clients based on that topic then can people reasonably who are of certain pathways access what they need to 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 achieve those competencies and that's probably one of the one of the potential kind of issues but I'm sure it can be done and I would absolutely fully support and back that i think i think sustainability diversity okay yes we have inclusive environments as a competency but it's not broad enough to incorporate incorporate i think what we need it to um and i I guess the same goes for for universities you know and and any kind of training what we're hoping to pop out at the end you know so can i ask you you've talked about um you know sort of making an impact how do you measure your impact? Do you mean environmentally? Sorry. Well, or just any, Im- any impact. <laughs> generally. <laughs> just generally. <laughs> no, no, because, you know, there's, there's, there's companies mm-hmm. out there who will, you know, do some work or work with their marketing teams and others on, you know, this is how I'm aligning myself to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Here's some of the things that I'm, I'm doing. But the proof is in the, the pudding, as they say, of well, yeah. what's your impact? And and firms now, you know, um, I don't think they're required to, but they will do an impact report as part of their annual report of what impact and difference have they they made. And some of those that I've seen are, you know, not in the Spain sector. I haven't seen any in the Spain sector as it happens. But others that I've seen are awful. 
they're just here's some pictures of some poor people that we've helped <laughs> you know yeah. I, it, but you know how that how that impact is really important so it's okay saying you know I've got a goal to increase the number of women in the built environment or in, or in surveying you know how are you measuring that and there's a, a danger that um you know there's that saying once a goal becomes a target it ceases to be a good measure or something like that you know it's once you start to focus on the number it's not a good measure actually of how how well you're doing because you're not thinking about the process and the changes that you've actually you've actually made you know yeah, that's that's interesting i mean statistics are, are always helpful but they always say you can make statistics say what you like don't they so so yeah i can i can completely appreciate that i mean i think measuring is is very difficult and there's there's not I, I think ultimately what it comes down to, which is actually very important for me as, as an individual, is for businesses to be vastly more transparent because you've got to have a starting point. I mean, we have in, in the kind of LGBTQ plus sphere, we have a lot of pink washing done by businesses and you have environmentally a lot of companies doing what's called greenwashing. And effectively, all it is is talk and no action just because, as an example, you put a rainbow flag as your logo during Pride Month or whatever, you know, doesn't mean that you're actually ensuring that you're making, you know, the necessary mean to make a more inclusive kind of workplace. It's, it, it's a really difficult thing to do. And I think measurement, that's, that's a very good question. But like I say, I think if you become, if you are transparent, as an example, with gender pay gaps, you know, I think they've been helpful in some ways because they actually allow you to see the kind of difference in where women sit at different levels of business. But I think measuring is a potential minefield, really. Um, but I think people just want to see actions. Yeah, it's good hearts law power of Google when we podcast. When a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. But, you know, you know, there are other ways that you can do things by, you know, like a maturity matrix, looking at, well, where, what will it look and feel like when these goals are achieved and actually measuring those things, doing that sort of sense mm. check. But it's all part of a culture of, a, of an organisation. But, you know, it's not just about big companies. You actually know individual surveyors can do this. And I think this is a massive opportunity for, for SMEs to start to look at how they do things, what their values are, how they align themselves with this kind of framework and communicate that out to their customers. Because like you and me and others, we've all had a real period of reflection in 2020 of what we're going to put up with and what we're not from behaviour of politicians, companies, who we work for, what we do, all of those things and that sense of real value. And mm. consumers are looking for values-driven businesses. And that's absolutely right. I think there's there's been a lot of change from various businesses. I mean, I was listening to actually, I don't mind giving them a bit of a plug, but Wilmot Dixon's sustainability strategy launch yesterday. And that was really good because actually a lot of the time it's okay, it's what you what you put into action, but it's also the language that you use against those actions. Um so you know, single use plastic is an example. It is not acceptable to use that anymore or, or at least it isn't for me me personally when you're talking about SMEs and individuals actually there's a lot of different things out there for example I think I used a uh, small world 
consulting for mine, but I I measured my kind of carbon emissions over the period of a year using uh, gas bill statements, electricity bills, etc. And that was really good. I actually came out lower than average in the UK, which was which was really good. But I don't fly a lot. But um, you know, there's lots of things that we can look at and use to measure our own impact, which will by you know, there's a knock-on effect actually help us determine how we can improve as a business, particularly for SMEs. Well, Kate, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com. Listener.